0: Hello and welcome back to Amp, the podcast that brings you closer to the music. I'm your host, Jonathan Kiesler, and I'm thrilled to be back for another episode. I know it's been a while since the last podcast, but don't worry, there's many more exciting interviews on the way in the coming weeks. Now, today's guest has had the opportunity to tour with some of the biggest names in the music industry. Stephen Huss has worked as a tour manager and front of house engineer for Buck Cherry, Maxi Priest, Better Than Ezra, B.B. King, Jimmy Buffett, Brett Scallion, and many others. His work has taken him all around the world, and he's seen it all when it comes to touring and live sound. I was excited to sit down with Stephen and pick his brain about his experiences on the road. We talked about what it takes to be a successful tour manager in front of house engineer, his favorite memories from the road, and some of the biggest challenges he's faced along the way. I hope you enjoy hearing his story as much as I did. Please welcome to the show, tour manager and front of house engineer, Stephen Huss. Hey guys, how are you? Doing great. How are you, Stephen? Making it. Doing okay. Thanks. So before we get into anything here, how did you get your start in music? I know this is not your primary career. So what got you into music and wanting to go on the road?
1: When I was in high school, a friend of mine's little brother was in a band called Driving and Crying. And I wanted to get into the show for free. And so he helped me load his brother's bass rig into the car, into the venue and got to go do a 21 and over show when I was in high school. (laughs) And somebody said, hey, good job. And then when I got to LSU, uh, a friend of mine knew the guy at the audio uh, company there in Baton Rouge. And when I was swimming there, um, driving and crying, a couple others came in and started doing that. And somebody handed me 50 bucks and said, hey, man, good job.
0: You want to keep doing this? Heck yeah, why not? It started as a hobby like most people do I guess and then yeah it was a hobby
1: and then you know the, the, the love I have for it is the energy that comes off a live show a live good show there's nothing like it that you know just listening to people and the the energy that comes off that show is incredible
0: There's nothing like that no
1: <laughs> that's what the world missed for two and a half years
0: right That's what I know I was on a huge concert kick right before and then having that it's just I was looking for any live music I could and yep. want to get back out there. Uh, what was the first big tour gig that you can remember?
1: I got picked up to do a bunch of local crew coordinator for the Rolling Stones um, tour. Voodoo Lounge in the 90s was the first stadium wow. arena tour. So I, I didn't do a whole lot other than I was literally just hiring and putting the local crew out, but got to go to all the shows and did it in like 10 venues.
0: And it was like, okay, I'm in. Wow. How do you prepare when you go on a tour? Like, what's some of the things that you do beforehand um, and leading up to a tour to prepare? So nowadays, you know, I,
1: um, I'm fortunate enough that, like you said, I have a different career as well. So I wasn't crushed, like, not two million of my friends over the last COVID years. But a lot of referrals will come in or people ask. And then, you know, it's, it's finding out what that band wants, listening to the music. If I don't know the music or don't know all the songs, um, mm-hmm. if I know a lot of the songs, that's great. You go listen to that. Um, and then it's just to get the, meet with the band, understand what they want, what they're looking for. It can be totally different. It can be, you know, Hey man, we just, we want to have this kind of vibe or we want it to feel like this or, or, you know, Hey, I want it to sound like the record or I don't want it to sound like the record. I want it to sound like a live show. Uh, Charlie at Anthrax once said when I was doing monitors, he's like, I don't want it to sound like a drums, like a, like a studio drums. I want it to sound live, but I don't want to hear anything else with it. Which was the hardest thing in the world for me to figure out what he meant, but it, you know it's, <laughs> you know, so now it's just listen to them and find out, and then go out and build the show.
0: So when you're actually on tour, what's kind of like the daily life of, of being on tour, being like on a tour bus, getting to all these different venues when you're actually on the road, not just doing one off shows? Mm-hmm. Um, what is the was the daily life of Stephen Huss on the road? Doing the comp,
1: doing a smaller one bus tour, um, Living Color Rat. Buck Cherry or any of the ones I just recently been doing the last several years is eight or nine o'clock in the morning, you're rolling into that town, Hmm. 10 or 11, usually parking the bus. If it's a small, if you're doing clubs and not arenas, you're in at like 12, one o'clock load in, uh, set everything up from one, usually schedule one to two hours for load in and then line check. And then the band will come in and do a sound check after that. So usually three hours for an in. If I'm doing a combo job of tour manager and production manager and everything else, I've already advanced. I already know what we're setting up, what we're not setting up, making sure catering is right for the band when they decide to come in to the, off the bus. Um, you've got anywhere from six to, or six to 12 guys sleeping on the same bus. You've got people that are there and can be doing all sorts of stuff. You know, you've know, you got, with a living color, Vernon Reed took over the back lounge. All of his pedal boards are set up everywhere, so you can't get in the back lounge. So now you've lost a section for three or four people to go sit.
0: Mm. But on that bus, we only had seven people, six people, so it was great. And then during the show, I know a lot of times you'll be doing front of house. Is mm. that most of most of the shows you do front of house that you're doing management we, for?
1: Recently, the last – I started as a monitor engineer, but I've been doing a lot more tour managing, front of house combos um, in the last six years or
0: so. What are some things that you enjoy most about during the show? I know – Personally, uh, we went out to see Buck Cherry. You had us along for that one show in Athens, and I know you were um, you were predicting everything that Josh would say before he would say it. Most
1: shows we go in and rehearse beforehand, so the shows, the ad libs, a lot of those are the same each night. Mm -hmm. Not always, you know. I'd mess up some of them here and there, but I knew exactly where Josh was going to do, you know, where he's going to get shot and fall down at the end of one of the songs, or where it was, or. Um, I haven't been out with better than Ezra in years and I can still do half of Kevin's ad libs as it is. But for me, like, you know, building the energy. So like on Buck Cherry's tour, we were out with Alice Cooper to start with. Hmm. So we did seven weeks with Alice Cooper, which was incredible doing arenas with them. And, but as the opener, it's a different scenario. So I just play my pre-show music and go. On the show you guys came at, we were changing the pre-show music. I would mute Bohemian Rhapsody at certain parts to get the crowd to start singing and right. going and getting the crowd into it. And then Thunderstruck, I roll the bass up and you know that, that big dun-dun comes out. And the, the whole building's vibrating at uh, the Georgia Theater and everything else. And just building that energy and helping people
0: feel and create that energy is what makes front of house fun. A lot of people don't really realize that you're pretty much part of the the act, part of the band at that point. You're, you know, developing that pre-show charisma and getting people excited. And, you know, there's, there's a lot. The, and you know, obviously, if you have bad sound, you're going to notice and people aren't going to be as engaged. Right. And,
1: you know, I, look, I'm not perfect there. I have bad nights just like everybody else. One of my mentors, Toby Francis, literally just did a thing for Midas where he says, hey, when I have a good show, I'm happy. When I have a bad show, I am my worst critic and it beats me up every night. Toby's mixing Red Hot Chili Peppers, you know, small. He did Red Hot Chili Peppers, Katy Perry, you know, small, small people. He's not doing, you know, he's doing his stadiums and stadiums don't sound good. Oh, So to make a stadium sound good, it's really hard. And he's, like I said, he's
0: one of the best there is in the business. It's kind of one of my pet peeves. Once bands get too large, you almost don't enjoy their shows as much anymore. It's, It's not intimate. It doesn't sound good.
1: I like anywhere from a 2,500
0: seat club and smaller. Yeah. Maybe a small arena. But 2,500 seats,
1: maybe 5,000 in a good theater, like a Fox or something like that. Yeah. A theater tour is perfect for me. That's the perfect venue. But I also love a good good crappy hole bar that's got a kick-ass old PA. And, you know, you get 300 people in there and there's just sweat and people have the yeah. ball.
0: The energy of the shows, can you can really see it right up there, close and personal. Yep. Um, so when you're on tour, you know, how are you balancing? I mentioned earlier, you know, this is not your day job. Um how are you balancing, you know, personal life and being on the road and work and being on the road um, while you're doing all that? How how difficult is it? It it gets really difficult. I had I
1: had a corporate gig I was doing, so I get up in the morning early and do that. Luckily, when we were out with, out with Alice Cooper, we didn't load until a little later in the afternoon, and we we're we didn't do a whole lot on the East Coast, so I got a couple hours saved that way by being on the West Coast. You know, Dana. My girlfriend, fiance, whatever, you know, whatever you want to call her, we're not getting, you know, we lived together and we got a mortgage for our second marriages, but she, uh, she broke her leg in the middle of that tour Hmm. and not being there is the hardest thing in the world. My daughter, Maggie, who, you know, um, I was in Hawaii and she went in the hospital and getting the call that your daughter's in the hospital and you are no sooner than 24 hours is the closest you can get home. Is the hardest thing in the world to deal with, so it's mm. it's challenging at times.
0: Yeah. Speaking of that, speaking of flights, I know I, I track all your flights when you post on Facebook. <laughs> you know, you got seat twenty six D or whatever. Five, today.
1: Last row, first five A, five A, five A B C or D. Hopefully.
0: <laughs> how do you have a flight total for how many flights? Do you do you keep track of the total amount you've been on at this point?
1: I have over five million miles on Delta, two and United, and one in on American. But I don't know wow. how many actual airplanes I've been on.
0: Yeah, that's uh, that's always funny for me to see where you're at in in the world, you know, at, at any given day of the week. So yeah, that's funny. Do you have a favorite venue or do you have a favorite location that you've ever? Red Rocks. If you're going
1: outside to an amphitheater, Red Rocks. That's is, what I've heard. Red Rocks is incredible. Walking in the tunnel, signing your name in the tunnel. The first time I walked into the Forum in L.A. and got mm. to do a show there. The United Center, Madison Square Garden, the iconic places like that were awesome. Right. I I did. I was doing filling in for a buddy with Mike Posner. And that's when I did my first show at the forum in LA. And it was like, wow. You
0: know, it was badass. (laughs) Red Rocks is definitely on like the list. Oh yeah. (laughs) Bucket list. I had places to see anyone, you know, you
1: know, it, it, the best part about Red Rocks is during the day it's not closed. So people are running stadiums. We're putting everything in. You can't close it for sound check. Right. You know, so normally we won't do a sound check there. It'll be a tech doing it. It won't be the band. -hmm. You know, because the venue's open until they decide to do it, and then it's the seats. But you people are running stadiums the whole day. Crews running stadiums. You
0: know, that's amazing. They (laughs) just
1: they just redid the roof. I haven't been there since they've redone the roof, though. And and I'll go on that one. For me, that one came out because as a kid, um, you two had the video shot there for Sunday Bloody Sunday, and that was my first. I was like, wow, where is this place? And that was you know that album was inspirational in my life anyway but that was something else for that video
0: yeah that's and i've heard that the, the sound is actually pretty good there too because it's the natural amphitheater but. yeah the natural amphitheater is really good that it's harder
1: with the low end because you're at altitude and low end uh there's not as much air to push for subs so you've really gotta make sure you got a lot of low end to kick in there same with mexico city whenever you're down there there's no low end in the thing compared to what you would do at sea level just because of the way the
0: physics work on audio mm. So, going off that, you know, uh, every show is different. Every venue is different. Um, you're constantly changing your your audio rig and how, how you make adjustments. Can you ever think of something that you were – that you a problem that came up that you just actually couldn't solve at the time and you just had to make do with it? Oh, there's lots of them.
1: I mean, as much as I hate to say it, on the Buck Cherry Alice Cooper tour, we were in Pittsburgh and the engineer for Alice Cooper – you know, we walk in and get whatever he did. And he was trying something new that day and set it up for himself. We didn't have front fills, so the first 10 rows kept saying they couldn't hear anything, mm. complaining to the band during the show. Um, He flew the PA higher than I would have, but that's – I mean, now now this guy's out with Metallica, so it's not like he doesn't know what he's doing. So I'm not right. saying anything like that. It was just he was trying something different, and it made me, made for a hellacious day for me that night. And it, it haunted me for weeks on that tour. I was like, oh, my God, I just – I want that show back because like you say, people come for that energy and that stuff and Mm -hmm. just wasn't there for me that night. So I couldn't fix the mix because I didn't, there was things in there that I wasn't, I don't know if I wasn't capable of, or I wasn't aware of at the beginning when we were doing other pieces of it that I needed to put together. There's a big difference. in when you saw me do sound check for Buck Cherry, and then you put 400, you know, and that, that venue held what a thousand people or whatever. We put a 500 people or 600 people as I call them, what mm-hmm. bags of water in there and how it sounds. <laughs> you know, the way the the way the sound waves act in a concrete room or a theater changes as you add bodies to it, the yeah. dynamics change. So doing the sound check gets me at one place by the third song, I better have it where I think it needs to be for the rest of the show and then go from there.
0: That's really once like the the, in, the initial intro of the band comes out and you, you get past all that and then you're just kind of in the, in the groove of the set. Yeah. For the rest of the time. You yeah, want I mean, you've got it. changes and depending on what you're doing,
1: if you've got screen or you've got snapshots and stuff and you've got settings on your boards, the new digital boards, I can push a button and have it ready to go to the next song and have, okay, well, there's more delay in this and it's already preset or uh, we got a, you know, if it's a different band and I got a guitar change or whatever else and that guitar is louder, I can have scenes where I set up and boom and change it and it's already there. Yeah. Um, with Mike Posner, you know, the Mike and a couple other guys would be like, okay, on this song. I don't want to hear him as loud. So I would literally change their settings per songs of what they wanted to hear in that song. I was doing monitors for it, but that's what I would do there on the scenes. So, I mean, it's the new digital boards are a game changer in that, but I also really miss the old analog desks.
0: Yeah. <laughs> do you have a favorite show that you can think of that you, you know that was like that went off without a hitch? It was perfect. Um, Recently, big or small? Uh,
1: we'll go big. Mike Posner at the Forum. Oh yeah. I mean that was to that show that everybody's singing, screaming, it was great. Um actually, no, Mike Posner at the uh at United Center at the forum, it wasn't a good night. <laughs> we had again a digital board and I saved the file from the desk in Chicago onto my thumb drive and loaded that into the desk in um LA. We flew overnight on the after the show. We got up that morning, left Chicago loading in. It was a uh, jingle bash or deck the balls or one of those, you know, radio shows (laughs) or the stage spins. Yeah. We get 45 minutes. Somebody else gets 45 minutes. They keep going. And I got a virus. So during sound check, I was like, dude, I have no audio. We already checked everything. We thought we were showing we were passing audio, but it wasn't working. We didn't see that because all we did was check the meters. So I had no audio during sound check. And it literally, so on the day before, in Chicago, it was great. You know, 35,000 35, people singing mm. took a pill in Ibiza. You can't even hear Mike because the kids are screaming it so loud and everything else. And then the next night, it's like, oh my god, we got the show to go, and it was fine. But it's technically it was a lot of challenges that next day, so it can change just day to day.
0: You're throwing a lot of big names out here. You know, Buck Cherry, Alice Cooper, and Better Than Ezra. I know is one you you do a lot with. And um, who is who are some of like the big names that you're like the most proud to have worked with, like personally know, maybe not like oh, the success of this tour was great, but like if you were talking of other people.
1: I mean, people wise, the best part of it is meeting the guys in the band. My first concert I ever went to was Rat. Oh, yeah. I got to go tour with Rat in 2018. They say it's careful. Don't meet your heroes. Parts of that tour were really challenging for me because I was like put Stephen Piercy and them on a pedestal. Right. He was having some issues at that time. So it was a little challenging, but I've continually kept touch with Ezra longer than anybody else. Um, all the way through deluxe, they were just here a couple weeks ago. I took Maggie and we went and had drinks and everything before the show with <laughs> yeah. with uh Michael Jerome, the new the drummer, and hung out with him before the show and we left before they had to leave. They were doing some media stuff after the show, but we left before that, but you know, I'm gonna see him again in a couple weeks in New Orleans and whatnot. So better than Ezra, I would do I don't know from. 90s, all the way through like 2007, 2008.
0: I do shows every year for them. So that's when you're always excited to get the call about, or yeah.
1: I mean, you know, yeah. just hey, man, you're in town, or hey, I'll go hang out. It's just go hang out with them. It's,
0: yeah, it's
1: we call it road family in the industry. But like I said, you're living on a bus with 11 other guys or 10 other guys in a tour bus. So you got a front lounge, a little kitchen, a bathroom you can't poop in, <laughs> you've got 12 yeah. bunks. And a lounge in the back, or a star coach in the back. It has a queen bed for the for the artist, but that's it. You you are on top of each other, so you literally become family.
0: You like to do nowadays. Um, you're kind of more or less done with these, you know, month or two month long tours. I know Buck Cherry kind of ran you dry, you know, that last one.
1: Yeah. I, well i i took a I took a different professional gig, a corporate gig um, that's got me more tied here. I can't do. I don't have the flexibility I had before but i'm also you know i'm in my 50s you know at some point i want to go and go do some fun stuff there are a couple bands that have called nast and i can't go do the tours the full tours for them but i'm looking to try and do a week or two here i don't have a problem with that that's fun for me now it's it's about doing the stuff i want to do and Mm -hmm. that works that has the balance for me and my family and everything else
0: yeah so what are some of those things that you would really like to still pursue? From now until whenever, that's still like maybe some bucket list items you haven't done yet that that you'd like to to venture out into?
1: Um I don't like studio work. I don't like I don't like doing stuff in the studio. I like live. I mean I, I like touring certain places. Not even certain places. I like going I have been to 70, 69 or 70 countries. I want to hit a hundred. Okay. That's a bucket list for me. I want to hit a hundred. I do a lot for Maxi Priest. I've been with Maxi Priest for five years now, and he traditionally only does one-off weekends. He did this last summer, do a tour with UB40, but I was out with Buck Cherry, so I couldn't do it. Hmm. He also placed some incredible places. I'm going to Anguilla with him, Turks and Caicos, Barbados, Australia, New Zealand, Papua New Guinea, uh, Tokyo, Bangkok. Those are all on the schedule this year. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, if I've got to take a weekend and say I'm going to take some time off of a corporate job, going to New Zealand and Australia
0: for a week is not a bad thing to do. So kind of going back a little bit of the the office side of things, you know, when you being a tour manager for these bands, how is it working with venues and booking and You know, the special requests that the artist may have, you have to work with all these venues and and doing all the paperwork side of things, you know.
1: The more I've toured lately, the more I've gone on to the tour manager production side and then on the smaller tours, I fill in and, you know, I do the front of house or whatnot. Mm -hmm. But because of my corporate background, I'm a little bit better, not better, I'm very capable of being a project manager in the corporate world. So dealing with those requests is not a problem for me. Having an artist say, oh, I want to stay long or I do this or, hey, will they pay for that? You know, I'm I'm okay with getting that done. That's that's sort of something that's come from me being a project manager, getting my PMP in the professional world, and then carrying it over to the music world. As opposed to you know just the school of hard knocks and going out and doing it, I get to go deal with that, building cell networks or you know telecom and
0: dealing with the municipality on my corporate gig, or now selling stuff to them. So, have you ever had like a really outlandish request that a uh, an artist has made that you're just like, okay, we'll, we'll try. Oh yeah. I get them all the time. (laughs) We used, in fact, a funny one was
1: I went out after Anthrax, I went out on a Disney kids tour, (laughs) Disney junior dance party. And it was literally Doc McStuffins and Vampirina and all these kids shows that I have no idea what they were. And our lighting director, Matt Gaz literally requested an odd number of Stella's so they would have to buy an extra 12-pack or whatever it was. And then he'd, he would reject the crueler if it didn't have the odd number in it. So it was like 39, an arbitrary number of 39 on the rider. So it was only 39 Stellas. No more, no less. It has to be this. So, you know, <laughs> they literally would put stuff in that just to see what venues would do. Some venues, you know, do it. Other venues are like, no. But most of the time, you know, you know the days of I don't want red M&M's. I never dealt with any of that. That's not right. crazy, but, you know, there are things that they want. You know, certain people want only smart water, certain people. Oh, Fiji, you know, um, I think it was Piercy or Juan from Rat that said, I don't want Deer Park. It tastes like deer piss water. <laughs> it's got to be a specific, you know, specific water. So so. Aquafina
0: only. Yeah. yeah, something to that effect. <laughs> when you're dealing with a lot of these, you know, divas or just all these personalities you got out on, on the road, Um, do you ever have any that just kind of go too far? You have issues. Um, maybe, you know, you have to part ways with anybody, something like that. I was out
1: with an opening act for a very, very, very big country act. And the opening act only had me as the front of house guy and tour manager. Mm -hmm. The way it was set up, there was a acoustic player that was going to play 20 minutes before the show. Then we were going to play for 20 minutes Then the headliner was going to play for twenty minutes, and then we were going to join him. So now, in all of this, my guy was taking up time from the monitor tech to mix monitors for him because he, the other engineer, there's no monitor engineer, so the monitor tech has to mix monitors while the the head monitor engineer is mixing for the headliner. And I requested, I said, "Dude, you got monitors, you got lights, and you've got video. I need you to give one hundred and fifty bucks a day." $50 $50 tip per person per day or per guy that you're making do two to three hours of extra work a day. Mm-hmm. And he had a canary about it, went and complained to the headliner and the guy came back and said, get off my tour. I'll, if I tell them to do it, they're going to do it. And I was like, yeah, I don't, you don't have to tell me to go off your tour. I quit. I'm out of here. I'm not, I, you know, I don't make people do stuff for common courtesy. It's not, you're aware of the highway. That's the right thing to do. You're adding three hours of the work to these guys who, you know, were already working 18 hours a day for 12 weeks.
0: Right. So... I know you had a another issue that was kind of out of your control with uh, with fuel, right? Well, no, fuel fuel and I are in great standing. Brett and well, I not, are not an issue, but they, they had an issue where they split up.
1: Well, yeah, Carl. So before the pandemic, Carl and Brett, my understanding was that they were going to get back together, and then um, I got brought in. Uh, a good friend of mine, Doug Kimball, was front of house for them, um, and right before the pandemic, he was leaving to go to Hall and Oates. And called me to take over fuel and Carl was going to come back out because Brett had been carrying the fuel name for years without Carl and they were going to reunite. And then we did 20 dates on, it was a air force entertainment. We went to 24, 20 different air force bases during COVID. I think we made it to 14 because the bases were having COVID lockdowns or whatnot. But, um, they he ended up switching it to Brett Scallion's because Carl decided he was going to go back out as fuel because he saw Brett, you know, doing well with it.
0: <laughs> what would you say is your favorite show that you've ever done? Wow. I mean, w- early in my career, I did a
1: Depeche Mode show that just stood out to me. A guy named Brian Brown, a good friend of mine was with a band called Poe and I was there with them and that and the Pesh Mode show was just awesome the way the lights and that was one of those ones where the energy was it still stands out to me that he, he would turn on the we call them ACL aircraft finding lights and it lights up the audience and the whole audience is standing up doing all the hands are in rhythm and everything else it was really cool that was in the 90s um, I could go off a couple for, per band but I don't know that I have any that just jump out that aren't I mean Luckily, most of the shows I do, I think, are pretty good, so they're all there. (laughs) But, I mean, you know, there's one with Living Color I did in Virginia that I took a picture with my cell phone that's the best picture I've ever taken from front of house, and it's just cool seeing Corey and Vernon and Doug Wimbish and um, Will Calhoun on drums, and they're all – the lights are set up, and you can make them out from there. And um, so that one was one for there. Um, I mean, there's a couple with Better Than Ezra, a couple of festivals we did that were really, really big – um, I really liked uh, Caboo uh, before the pandemic in um, Grand Cayman. So I was there with Maxi Priest, and um, before us was Flo Rida, After us was Counting Crows, all on the same stage. The other stage, they had Country Accent. There were two stages. They were rotating back and forth, and it was just – the lineup and the mix of music was incredible and they limited it to where they only had like 5,000 seats and all the sponsor paid for bringing in the big acts, but it was really well done. The headliner of that night was Brian Adams. So it was a lot of fun.
0: Well, it's no secret. I'm a little younger than you. Um, so honestly, hearing you talk about all these experiences where you're out on the road with all of these names that a lot of them for me was, I grew up with my parents listening to them in the car or I grew up, you know, first time I would hear him as playing guitar hero. Something like that, you know. So hearing your stories, um, or just hearing the people that you know. Oh yeah, I got a guy that I know on this tour. I got a guy on this tour. It's it's honestly really cool for me, and it's it's uh, kind of been a a big boost to me personally to kind of get out there and and do some networking. Um, Yeah, I mean the names that I hear you rattle off. It to me, I would have a hard time just being in the room with them and not kind of you know being a fan. You you learn very early on that. They are just like you and I. They put their pants on the same way. There
1: are guys who create sounds that have changed the way music is done that are insecure and sit there and noodle on their guitar every day thinking, oh my God, am I good enough? And I'm looking around going, dude, you you influenced an entire generation of people. You know, why you know, there are guys who come in and they're like every day, you know, Josh from Buckcherry will go in and he'll warm up for one song for sound check. He does one song. Mm-hmm. He will warm up 40 minutes for that one song to make sure he's taking care of his voice right and go warm down for 20 minutes after doing one song for the sound check. So we were, when we were out with Alice Cooper on his birthday, they invited him to come out and do a, do schools out after the set. So he went out and did he warmed up for the sound check. He warmed up for the show, cooled down for both of those, and then went back out, warmed up 40 more minutes again before the show or during Alice's set, did the song, and then came back and cooled down. <laughs> and I got – that's one of the coolest pictures I got on that tour is me and Brett right backstage, me get, handing them the mic, getting ready to go back on, on. – that was cool because I wasn't mixing at that point, Greg yeah. was. That's cool.
0: It's it's crazy to see like all, all these people you just see on stage, you know, you don't think too much about what goes on behind the scenes. Um.
1: Yeah, there's a whole – there's a whole – even for a small club show, you've got six or eight local guys plus four to six tour guys on every show mm-hmm. that are putting that together and piecing it together, each one, and all those guys – the tour guys are working, you know, they're on that bus. There's no Alice Cooper, 74 years old. And we did five shows a week. Yeah. It killed, week, it, it's crazy how week. he's still out there. <laughs> it's, he's you doing know, a great job still. Too. He's got four, he's got four buses plus his three semis. Yeah. You know, and they're out there doing that. And then you've got, yeah. you know, everybody else's, you know, Going out with everything now, there are so many shows that everybody's out there because they didn't work for so long that it's you know they're all trying to bring the best they can to get everybody there because you've got a choice, you've got a show every week, every night of the week, almost you could go see. You know, I know that you you've said before, oh, I want to go to that one, but I'm already at this show or something else is yeah. scheduled, and you know, so you know, but they're it's, out there. It's hard to look past everything. the
0: next year. It's like they'll come back, but I want to go now. You know, <laughs> well,
1: you know, Tom Petty said it once. He he, he actually was on his website and everything It said that if it wasn't for my crew, I'm nothing. You know, I've got to have the tour manager, the production manager, David Rawlings has a thing that says, I don't care who you are. Sit down, shut up and listen to the stage manager. (laughs) You know, you're not that important. He's there to make sure you do your show. You know, those guys. And for the most part, 99% of those guys are like that. They're not egomaniacs. There are the ones out there that I'll call just artists that are, that are
0: misconstrued. Yeah. I mean, the ones that, the ones that make it big and stay big or stay Roll-
1: relevant. Sorry, Henry Rollins, not David Rollins.
0: <laughs> the ones that make it big and stay big and relevant, you know, they they know what to do. They know who to put in charge of what and how to delegate. Mm-hmm. They know they're not the best at everything. So. No,
1: and you know that's you know when I started in this business, people toured to break even to sell mm-hmm. records. They toured for you to go buy their record. Yeah, there's no records anymore. There's you know they don't. You buy a song on iTunes. The artists don't get paid crap for that. They don't yeah. get paid unless you're Taylor or Ed, you don't get paid anything for for selling on Spotify. They tour. That's how they make their money. Mm-hmm. You know, it's that's their that's their paycheck now. They sell the
0: songs or get you on the radio, and get you to come to their show, but they want you
1: know, it's touring and merchandise merch, is where yeah. they make their money.
0: And then before we get out of here, because I'm sitting right behind this uh, awesome Millennium Falcon <laughs> Lego kit you've got here. I know you've got a whole room that I walked through earlier. Um, you got every Lego imaginable up there. And I'm, I know you got more on the way. Those boxes in the corner. <laughs> what is your favorite Lego <laughs> kit that you've built? And oh. what's one that you still want to build to this day?
1: Um, well, I asked for Dana works for the Lego group. So she, she works for the Lego group. We got rid of our dining room and actually call it the Lego room. <laughs> um, we've been in the house almost two years now and she's still designing shelves to try and get more in there. But I figure we're gonna have to kick a kid or two out to make a couple other rooms fit all the Lego <laughs> sets. Um, the money Falcon is, I asked for that for two or three years, Dana. Right. I asked for that for <laughs> three years. So, um, you know, it's also expensive
0: as hell. So yeah, that's, <laughs> Legos are no
1: joke. That that room
0: in there, you got to get some insurance for. <laughs> there, the, yes,
1: there's a special rider on our homeowners insurance just for Lego. <laughs> there really is. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Next kit I want um, Eiffel Tower, Tanta- Titanic. My next ones are all going to be big.
0: Cool. That's like every kid's dream room right there, you know, right, right at the front of the house. (laughs) Love it. Well, thank you, Steven. I appreciate you sitting down with me and talking about your days on the road and being a front of house engineer and everything. And I really appreciate it. No problem, man. If I can help on
1: anything else, let me know. Thanks, man.
0: Thanks. Have a good one. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of AMP. If you enjoyed the episode, please drop the show a five-star review on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, follow AMP on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Amp Music Podcast, and let me know who you'd like me to interview next. Thanks again for listening. See you next time.